0: Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Sustainable Ecommerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and this week we return to sort of normal programming by chatting with the founder of a sustainable retail store. Nikki Chancho is the co-founder of Black Store, a retailer attempting to define a better model for supporting consumers on their journey to sustainability. Of course, Nikki's brand is doing the hard work of carefully curating sustainable and ethical brands to sell in store, making Black a go-to destination for buying better here on the northern beaches. But much more than that, she's providing the consumer service structure needed to help move towards a circular and lower consumption economy with recycling, re-commerce and repair services needed to keep items in circulation for longer. What's especially interesting to me is that they think of themselves as a fashion retailer, and so they really are forging a new type of sustainability store. On the show today, Nikki shares her experiences in forging a new type of store, as well as her opinions on exactly what sort of information brands should be providing to help consumers make better purchasing decisions. So with that, let's start the show. Nikki Chancho, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Giles. Thank you for having me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure, Nikki. It's not very often we get the opportunity here on the show to chat with somebody who's building an actual retail brand, uh, you know, retail store. And I love that. Um, and it gives you a bit of a different perspective, I think, on what consumers are asking for, what brands are doing. Uh, and so I'm super excited to to pick your brains about the world of, of selling sustainable products uh, today. But before we get into all that, Nikki, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is and how you came to start Black?
1: Yeah, sure. So, We started, uh, me and my business partner, Tom, we started Black Store about four and a half years ago. The reason why we started it is because we had our own fashion label. It was called Point Nemo and we, uh, someone suggested that we do a pop-up to kind of get customers in, you know, real life feedback on our products. Um, We did this uh, in Freshie, in Freshwater on the Northern Beaches. We just did a pop-up shop. We booked it in, I think, for about three weeks. And to help us with paying the rent, we actually um, subletted some of the space in the shop with um, some other sustainable brands like Outland Denim and a few local brands. And after three weeks, we realised how much everyone really wanted to learn more about sustainable fashion and they were really interested in learning about fabrics where things were made and the story behind the product so from what started as a three-week pop-up went for three months and after three months Tom and I looked at each other and we were just like maybe we've like got something here maybe we should actually open up a real a real shop um, and see what we can do Tom and I kind of do this stuff all the time. We just end up like starting something and then we get, you know, you know, we get the world in on it and then we're like, hey, how about we do this? So we kind of just landed with a shop. We ended up um, moving to the shop next door and that's when Blackstore started because originally it was just a pop-up. It kind of just had like a no name. Um, I think we, I think the sign literally just said pop-up shop.
0: It is what it says on the tin, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like very basic. So we opened up Black Store next door and um, made it less of a pop-up, more of a proper retail store, and we sold a whole bunch of things like not just men and women's clothes, but we also sold what we call um, life essentials, um, so refillable natural products like skincare, refillable deodorant, um, home products, so um, like washing detergent that's also refillable and, and all those, you know, sorts of things. At the beginning, we really were just a retail store and our point of difference was that everything was sustainable, organic, ethically made, refillable and recyclable. And then we've kind of really evolved from there. Pre-COVID, we actually moved to Manly into a bigger space and we started offering recycling programs because I had people coming in with empty empty packets of, you know, um, refillable products or just empty, you know, toothpaste tubes and people were also coming in with, because um, we have a rack at the shop which is of pre-loved items so people can sometimes bring in their clothes and we will sell it for them and have it on there on consignment. Um, But people were bringing in clothes that were not actually good enough to resell. And they were like, what can I do with this? And at the time, I was just like, I don't know, but I'll take it for you. And I'll think about it later. So I started actually collecting people's like items that needed to be recycled. So from there, I kind of just started researching. Okay, I think we also need to start creating more of a closed loop system Mm. so that whatever goes out of the shop can either come back in to be refilled, recycled, repaired, or can biodegrade back into the earth or is compostable. So now, today, we recycle textiles, use dental hygiene products, use shaving products, blister packs, stationery, cl- uh, yeah, I say clothing, shoes, sunglasses, um, and we're just continuously adding to that list We've yeah we've really become kind of the place on the northern peach beaches for people to recycle all that sort of stuff yeah um, which is great we we get people just coming from everywhere to drop off their recycling
0: and I guess you're running that as a kind of free community service but uh, I'm guessing you pick up the occasional counter sales from people come in too right
1: yeah but I mean also you know we we're not here to force people to buy anything at all it's it's hard being in the sustainable space when um, you're actually selling product mm because it's 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 contradictory really especially when you're selling fashion but for us it's about teaching people okay you're never going to stop people from buying clothes and wearing clothes so it's about educating people on the better products to be that should be bought it's about where thinking about where your products came from who made them and what they're made of instead of just buying the next 20 dollar t-shirt you see
0: it's so interesting you say that i mean you, you've opened up about three different loops there of conversation that I'd love to drill into because it's it's a fascinating space that you're in. And the first question I was going to ask you once you sort of finished up your sort of founder story thing there was, well, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot now of, let's call them sustainable retailers out there. I mean, there's a few flagship ones, like we all know, like Flora and Fauna and Biome and those sorts of stores, which are kind of nationwide. And my question was going to be, well, that's great, but so what are you doing differently? What's your angle and what's your sort of, what's your special spin on it that perhaps are not being followed? What do you think, well, where did you see the gap? And I I think what you're saying is that you see this, your store as being part of the circular economy, as opposed to just being someone that curates good sustainable products. That, is that sort of how you see it as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. And we, I believe, were one of the first of our of our kind of so we are a fashion retailer and we just also have happen to have all the everyday things that you need as well so i think also our point of difference is flora and fauna and biome they are kind of when you look at them online they are more so just like the everyday essentials skincare makeup and all that sort of stuff while they do have some pieces of clothing we do have some of the biggest sustainable brands in our shop we've got patagonia we've got nudie So we are got the fashion side of it. And we're also trying to show other fashion stores that you can do it properly. You need to be able to offer repairs for your brands that you stock. You need to offer people a more sustainable lifestyle because it's very overwhelming for the everyday person. You just need to make it easy for them because they've had it easy for so long, right? No one has time. Everyone's life is so quick and fast. No one has time to be like, I I don't have time to go and get something repaired or think about how I'm going to repair something. If they can just come back to where they bought it, we'll we'll repair it, you know?
0: Yeah. Our whole society has been baked in with the ease of single use, the ease of, of linear thinking. You buy you use, you throw it away. But if we want to get into a circular relationship, it's the brands and their partners like you who need to close that loop and make circularity not just as easy, but then ultimately cheaper than than the linear process. Otherwise, we're never going to move humanity towards this circular system, right? Because it's just too easy to keep doing what we all know.
1: Well, that's it. And as business owners and and brand owners, it's actually like, it's us who have the power to do this Mm. because at the end of the day, like I said before, like consumers don't want to have to think about anything really. And we are responsible for what we offer the world. And, you know, people always, I'm always talking to people about how do we just get single use cups out of the world? Like there's so many better options out there. And if every cafe tomorrow just decided okay we're not going to use single-use cups anymore you have to bring your own cup everyone will eventually do it because they realize okay well i can't get a coffee unless i bring my own cup because cafes don't offer a cup anymore so unless you like just supply them only with that option then it's just it's just going to take a really long time because there's still those other options out there but i think that the more that people start offering this it should be able to become a bit more affordable as well. Like I understand that it's a privilege for a lot of us to be able to live a sustainable lifestyle. I understand that. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it really is a hard kind of space to navigate sometimes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. And let's be honest, you know, as, as everyone listening here will know, you know, making high quality uh, products out of sustainable materials is simply more expensive per unit than it is to mass produced a bunch of rubbish you know out of china using the cheapest synthetic materials it's simply more expensive which means that of course the end price point is going to be higher if you want to you know in order to make enough margin to keep running your business and that means that story is a critical element and you touched on that word before story so tell me a little bit about the story that you have at black and 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 how you are able to connect that story to the people that come into your store and how how do you tell that story
1: yeah so i think At the beginning, it was actually quite difficult for us to tell our story because, I mean, four or five years ago, no one really cared about sustainable fashion as much as they do now. Um, And it really was just people thought, oh, cool, a hemp T-shirt. It's going to be really scratchy and probably unflattering. Um, But there are so many amazing brands out there now making awesome styles in Mm. great fabrics. And I think... For us, the story was about, well, I think there's there's two, two angles. One is showing people that sustainability is cool and that you can still look good, but also, you know, be kinder to the planet on, you know, what you choose. But also the story for us is that we live and breathe as best as we can, a sustainable lifestyle. Um, my business partner, Tom, is uh works he's an enviro technician at the seabin project so
0: okay yeah
1: lives and breathes it every day as well and but i think you know part of that story is explaining to people that you don't need to because there's like on the internet there's like two extremes there's like those amazing i'll call them influencers out there who live on farms or you know, live a little bit more remotely. They make their own nut milk. They, you know, make their own moisturiser. That's not attainable for majority of the people, right? So for Tom and I, it's about our story is, is that you don't have to give up all the things you love in life to be kinder to the planet. And you don't have to be perfect either. As long as like everyone is doing their bit, then it's going to make a really big difference. Yeah. So the story was, and is that we're not perfect, but, and you don't have to go live on a farm to be, you know, better for the planet.
0: Is that a common thing that comes up with people, when people come in the store and and they perhaps, I'm imagining if they walk through the door of, of black, they're already somewhat in tune with, with sustainability. They, they already think they're already thinking about it. Cause they, I don't know if they'd necessarily walk in just randomly Would they, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming they know something, but what, is that a common issue for people? Is that what are they getting stuck on? is it is it is it how do I live sustainably in a city or is it something else? like where where do you where do you think the biggest problem lies in in consumer adoption of sustainability?
1: Well, actually, firstly, I would say sixty percent of people that come into the store don't even know that we are a sustainable retailer.
0: Okay, that's awesome to hear. Yeah,
1: yeah. so it's actually great because then you get to have that first conversation with them and then they they yeah. bring people back. They're like, look at this. this is you know, we've got, they've got sunglasses made out of recycled sunglasses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that moment of discovery, isn't it? When you moving along from, from like an eco warrior, who's kind of seen it all before and it's just, Oh yeah. Another one of those. Okay, fine. To someone that discovers that you can, you can have hundred percent recycled sunglasses or plant-based plastic sunglasses, whatever it is for the first time. And you see their face light up that moment must, must keep, really keep you going as well and yeah. encourage you to keep having these conversations.
1: It does. And it's super exciting. And it just, it just brings the vibe up. Definitely. Um, but I would say it really is a mix. Like I think for some people, because sometimes being a bit more environmentally friendly, the upfront investment is a little bit daunting for people. And it really is like a numbers game. So, you know, you'll find, um, like a dish soap block, right? So when I wash my dishes, I just use a huge block of soap, which I have a brush And you just kind of use the brush and then wash your dishes. Obviously, it's all natural. It's even, you know, it's if you wanted to, you can probably eat it if you wanted to, like, you know. But that block is, you know, about $18. But it can last you six months. So it's the educational piece around each single product that we, that's the conversation we have with our customers. Yeah. Okay, so yes, this block of soap for your dishes looks it's it's expensive. It's $18, but it's gonna last you longer than you know a bottle of detergent from the supermarket. It's also yeah. zero waste. There is literally a card it's just covered in a cardboard box and that's it. And it's better for you, it's better for your health. It's can also be used as laundry detergent. It can remove stains on your clothes. Like it's multi-purpose. It's those small conversations about each single product we have. That we have to try and change the narrative around okay, sustainability or living a sustainable life is expensive. And I think that's like the hard, the hardest part. Especially like some people come in and and there's you're never gonna change everyone, right? Some people come in and they're like, oh, a t-shirt for $90. Why would I do that? And I can just go down the road to the mall and get one for
0: $25. Is there any particular demographic that you would see doing that sort of thing more often?
1: Probably my, my generation.
0: <laughs> so for, for people that can't see you, who what is your generation, Nikki?
1: Uh, I'm a millennial. Yeah, perfect. Um, I mean, the younger generation are great. They are really into it, but they're also younger, so they may not necessarily have the income, mm. but they also are more willing to kind of save up for something really good. Um, my generation... We grew up with shops like H&M and Zara and all that sort of stuff. Like that was us growing up. And I would have to say like 90% of my friends still shop at all those shops. And that's like super hard. I pretty much don't really have many conversations like this with any of my friends because I know that they don't want to hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. That That is fascinating to me because being a bit of a data nerd that I am, I look at just about every report on consumer trends and all that sort of stuff that I can get my hands on. And time after time, after time, after time, those reports say things like, you know, millennials are the most fast adopting of sustainability. They are the ones that think it's most important for brands they work with to be purpose-driven. They are the ones that think that brands should no longer make a profit if they're not making an impact in the world, all those sorts of things. And yet... What I've seen in talking to customers is that it's the millennials who are equally the ones that are refusing to pay a little bit more for the sustainable choices. They're wanting to continue to shop and then return all the items they didn't want. And all those kind of hyper-consumerism tendencies that we know we need to move away from are sort of baked into the millennial group more than any other. So we've got this really interesting um disparity haven't we between what they're what they're what they want the world to be like and what they're prepared to do yeah i I don't know is that your opinion as well
1: It, it definitely is and i think also because like we grew up with when social media kind of just start like we i can't even remember i think i was in uni when instagram came out and we really grew up with that influencer lifestyle like you saw someone and that's what you wanted to get right but now the influencer lifestyle, is it's more about being real and being honest, whereas we didn't grow up with that. We just grew up with people ba- saying, hey, I just drank this drink and I lost 15 kilos. And everyone's like, got to go get that drink. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like completely brainwashed. And that's really difficult to change the mindset. I find that the older generation are a little bit more open to it. And I don't know why that is. Maybe because they're more educated but you know because they're older I don't
0: know like it's a funny one for sure but um I'd love to come back to this this point of of cost because I think it is especially now perhaps more than any other time in the last decade a real challenge for people for brands particularly attempting to grow their brands sustainably with sustainable products because of you know the economic conditions that we're all sort of struggling with and living through right now you know whereas covid and and that would have been interesting for you, I'm sure, you know, having started a bigger store just before COVID, then COVID hit, no one could get to your store. But during COVID, we all saw this explosion in interest in in sustainable living and sustainability and ethical procurement and all that sort of stuff, as people realized their own mortality was in front of them and wanting to do better for the world. And then I think that trend is still there. I think the desire is still there, but it's been tempered somewhat, hasn't it, by well frankly household budgets uh, at the end of the day so and i'm interested because what you just said was yeah well we we sort of explained that away with the story of, of the fact it will save you money in the long run but you've got two different properties you've got your your physical bricks and mortar location and you've got your online store as well how have you found the difference in telling that same story between the two with between the two sort of properties is there a, is there a difference do you tell the story differently how do you go about that
1: yeah it's definitely easier for us to tell it in person. And um we have a very strong community. I find online is much harder because there's just so much information out there. A lot of people don't know who's telling the truth as well. There's a lot of greenwashing and I think it's quite overwhelming for a lot of people.
0: So just let me just ask you that because I want to jump in there because this greenwashing thing is a thing, right? I mean, we know it's it's... We know it's real. We know it's out there. We know that there are brands purposefully bullshitting uh and you know to try and attack try and attract the the eco-conscious consumer. We know the ACCC is hot in it in the moment and and and, and so's ASIC actually with a whole bunch of things. What do you think the average person, the consumer thinks about greenwashing? Do they know what it means? Do they are, are they are they aware? Are they are they um clued up into how to spot greenwashing or, or what sort of twigs their twigs their you know BS radar? What do you think about that?
1: I think they know what it is, but I don't think they know when it's happening to them. For example, I get served a lot of ads on Instagram about um, brands being sustainable and stuff, obviously, because I'm always just searching for new brands to have in the shop. And um, I got served one the other day and I'd never heard of the brand before. And I was like, oh, it literally had the word sustainable basics or had something written there. And I clicked into it and I clicked onto the website and I was like, there's literally nothing sustainable about this. There was no transparency on the website about where it had been made. It just said that we have great relationships with our manufacturers. I'm like, that means nothing to me whatsoever. I think it said that it used uh, sustainable fabrics and I'm pretty sure from what I saw, it was all just polyester. And I mean, a lot of people now are using recycled polyester as well, which... I'm up and uh, um, I'm I'm an, on and off about all the time, but um, I mean, there's just I think people just assume because they're being told that a brand is sustainable
0: that it is that they think it is. Yeah. They
1: I don't know really where to look.
0: You're exactly right, and and hence uh, the ACCC clamping down on the word uh, use of the word sustainable because used on its own it means nothing. Yeah. So how how can you t- how can brands tell when they are doing a good job right when they are making things consciously when they're using great materials when they're when they're making sure that their people in the supply chain are paid a living wage when they're marketing effectively how do you think they should be communicating what they're doing in a way that cuts through that that burr of the word sustainable
1: Yeah I actually have this conversation often with some of our brands because we like to take on small brands well, small Aussie brands, because I feel like the new brands that are on the market at the moment, they're trying really hard and Mm. they have every intention and every bone in their body is doing everything they can to be as sustainable and ethical as possible, but it's really hard for small young brands to do that. They need support, right? So for some of the brands that we take on, they may not be completely... They may not tick all our sustainable and ethical boxes, but they are on their way and they have plans. And a lot of the time we help them. We help them source better fabric. Um, we've got like a bit of a fabric network sourcing sourcing network, sorry, fabric sourcing network here in Australia, which we okay. can, you know, um, we introduce some of our brand partners to. And we just leverage off all our other brands to help, you know, smaller brands get to where they need to go it's also Mm. about um i'm speaking with one of uh, our brands at the moment about how to get more of their story out there and it really is you've just got to have it on your website
0: but have what though nikki what have what 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 would you say they need to put on their website let's let's get down some nuts and bolts
1: okay so there needs to be a specific either whether it's in your toolbar like a tab or whether it's on the front page about the fabrics about how it's manufactured, any certifications that your factories have, you simply can't just say we have a good relationship with our factory. Mm. We see our factory once a year. That means nothing because you have no control over how those people are treated at all. Mm, mm. You need to have at least some sort of certification, ZX audits or something, right, to prove that you are working with factories that, have the best interests for their, for their um, you know, seamstresses. Um, in terms of fabric, fabric is a hard one. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's 100% cotton, then it's great. It's not great. Because 100% cotton still means it's conventional cotton. Unless it's got certified organic or BCI cotton or something, then it's, it's still just conventional cotton. It's been bleached, it's been dyed and all that sort of stuff. Same with linen. People think, oh, French you know, flax linen, that's great, but it's like, you know, a hot pink, you know, dress or something like, okay, but what was it dyed with? Because if it's not dyed with natural dyes and it actually can't, it's not biodegradable, you can't actually do anything with it unless you, you know, those fabrics are sent to someone like Blocktex who can like separate, but that's, that doesn't happen that often.
0: No and and you know let's be honest i mean blocktex is successful as they are being they they have a tiny proportion yeah. of the of the textiles that are actually come in through australia right now um, yeah
1: exactly so fabric is really important it's also it's not even just about where you source your fabric from if you can provide information about the farmers location all that sort of stuff that is true transparency and you can find that on a lot of our brands websites um, like patagonia and nudie and nudie yeah. has, um, you know a, ma- a map and when you click on a product it tells you exactly where on the map it was made and gives you all the information
0: yeah that's got kind of a next level i've seen that in a few places that's next level transparency isn't it when you can actually track through exactly where everything's come from
1: yeah and they're really big brands right they've they've got you know whole teams doing that but yeah. even just a one pager on your website explaining where your fabric is from, who's making your product and also where what your goals are, your future goals and how you're going to get to those goals. I think that's, that's also about transparency and like keeping people up to date as well
0: if you've listened to the show i know you have nikki you might have heard me talk about active transparency in the past and and that's exactly what i'm getting at there's transparency which is okay where did stuff come from in your supply chain who made it what's it made of all that sort of stuff and then for me there's active transparency which is okay what are we doing next where's our journey what impact have we had you know, what's the negative impact of what we've done and how we fixed it, you know, all that sort of stuff and on an ongoing basis because it's not a set and forget, so it has to be active and hence active transparency. So I, I love everything you just said and I, and I, I, you know, I think it's all exactly 100% uh, on the money. I really do.
1: And I get it's really hard for small businesses. Like well, sometimes there's only two people in a team, right? So it's yeah. a lot to do, but I think, you know, chipping, chipping away at it and putting it, it up there and working on it is better than having nothing at all because everyone can say that you know you are an organic t-shirt company but that's not telling me anything
0: it's interesting though isn't it because i mean you know you, you obviously in theory bigger companies have bigger teams and they do to to sort of pull all this information together but equally smaller brands you know and if it's a solo even down to the level of sort of solopreneur brands who are you know, perhaps a mom and dad type businesses doing something well, they tend to have less SKU. So it's less information that they need to kind of collect up. And if it, even if it's just a case of saying, okay, well, we buy from a factory in India for this and for China for that, putting those on the map and talk, talking a little bit, of course, like you say, sharing the, um, the SedEx kind of, uh, uh, audit trail and all the rest of it is it goes a long way towards providing the level of proof that 99 and a half percent of brands never do. Which means that, you know, if you are doing those things properly, you're giving the customer a sense of trust and credibility that nobody else is providing them. And that sets you immediately apart.
1: Yeah. And as I was saying before, customers just need everything in front of them. They don't have time like I do to scroll through someone's website from start to finish and read all the fine print. It just Mm. needs to be there, easily accessible so that they don't really have to think about it, but they just need to be able to see. okay, so this person is made here and they've got these certifications. And as opposed to just saying, you know, we use organic fabric and sometimes we see our manufacturers.
0: It's interesting you say that because um, we've recently sort of finished a huge assessment of, of the marketing of 500 sustainable brands from around the world. And less than 30% of people of brands actually even have a sustainability page. And this is sustainable brands I'm talking about. These are brands that are purpose-driven, sustainable brands, not just any old brand, but these are specifically purpose-driven, sustainable brands I'm talking about. Less than 30% of them even have a sustainability page. And then the ones that do fall into the accidental trap of thinking that that's great, that's all they need to do to provide the customer with the information. So, So they tend to put everything on that. And then there's a couple of links on there. But then they forget that actually customers need to be given this information in short form, very quick bite-sized chunks in the purchasing journey, especially for online. So that when they come from, let's say, a Facebook ad or a Facebook post or an Instagram reel or something to the website, ideally to the product page, they've got the information they need there right there to go, oh, okay, this is stone. And if they want to go and find out some more information and drill a bit deeper, sure they can. But they're not gonna hop around your website looking for a deep dark crevice somewhere to go and find this information from.
1: No, they don't have time. They just wanna be clicking on it and buying it. It's just about short point form, you know, on the product page. Yeah. Made here, you know, one of our old brands, which she doesn't she doesn't produce anymore post-COVID. Um, she had all of that on every product page, which we would have on our product page as well, even down to where her you know, labels were made and where all her thread was from. That's true transparency. And sometimes, you know, a lot of her fabric was actually um, dead stock fabric, which means that uh, she was using fabric that maybe some fabric uh, stores were collecting that were kind of um, just left behind from other brands. Um, Usually happens when like bigger brands want to have multiple options and then choose one one fabric and then they have like 30 million rolls of another fabric they don't want so a lot of her products were uh dead stock which meant that sometimes it was polyester um but at the end of the day if you're not using that then it's going to landfill or somewhere else right
0: yeah totally one of my clients actually is a um uh, makes uh, cushions and and home interiors out of dead stock, entirely entirely out of dead stock, and, sustain, and some some purpose made sustainable materials called eco interiors. Um, amazing what they're doing there. So, yeah. so I totally hear you with that. I mean, you know, even if you are using polyester, it's certainly a lot better than ending up in landfill. So, if we had to sum up this sort of conversation or up to conversation to date, with you know, back to the question, which was, you know, what do customers think when they come in the store? What are they What are they getting stuck on? And I think the summary of all that is ultimately to. Uh, for a brand you need to be transparent you need to show them and prove to them why you're sustainable not just say you're sustainable because otherwise they're going to get their BS radar going off and they may just leave
1: yeah and and you know most sustainable brands have a story and a story is good people like walking out of the shop and being like you know I just bought some sunglasses made out of recycled sunglasses yeah. so that's a fully closed re- closed loop product you're wearing there so People love a story they love walking out and just being like going back to their friends and saying, hey, this T-shirt is made, you know, out of, you know, post-consumer cotton or it's made out of yeah. t T-shirt or whatever, you know. So the story is really, it makes people have more meaning behind the products that they're buying.
0: Yeah, I, I love that so much. There's some statistics out uh, that um Zeno group published or 20 back in 2020 I think which was really very powerful just on this very topic you're talking about now which was that you know I think you know in marketing we know that um you know bad news usually travels about seven times faster or seven times more prolifically than good news except when there's there's a really positive story and you the the Zeno group sort of published this uh, information to show that brands with a purpose brands with a positive story particularly around sustainability uh tend to get six time uh, six times more likely to be shared with people with purchases in their family and friends because they're excited to share what they've done and the good they've done by making that choice than it would be just an ordinary pair in fact you know i think that, and i think that's very very powerful because we all know it's getting very expensive to to run paid media so word of mouth is so powerful
1: yeah yeah and we get that a lot at the shop we get a lot of people that come in and like oh I heard that you sell you know shampoo bars and that they're really good and that's like worth six bottles of shampoo and I'm like yeah we do they're like do you use it and I'm like yeah I've been using it for four years and I've only ever used four bars so um they're like wow what a saving like and that's, we always get people coming in and be like, I hear you do this. I hear you've got this. I'm like, yep, we do it all.
0: Um, listeners won't get the benefit of this, but there you are looking like you've literally just walked out of a salon having used a shampoo bar. So walking, <laughs> advert, walking advert for uh, shampoo bars right right here, Nikki. Um, but look, I know we, we've we spent a, a wonderful half an hour chatting to each other, uh, but I do, I know we're coming to end of our time. So where do people go, Nikki? Where do people go if they want to come and buy from Blackstore?
1: So if you're in Sydney or on the northern beaches of Sydney, you can come to our store um, in Manly, which is 210 Pittwater Road in Manly, or you can go online to www.black, B-L-A-E-K, so blackstore.com. And from there, you can do anything. You can even recycle through us online as well. doesn't matter where you are. You can recycle through us. You can rent clothes all that sort of stuff.
0: Awesome. I love it. And what about brands? How might they get involved uh, with what you're doing?
1: So anyone can uh, give me a, or shoot me an email or, you know, DM us on Instagram. Um, We do have a bit of a vetting process when it comes to bringing on new brands.
0: Cool. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So definitely sustainable fabrics. That for me is quite an easy one. And there's so many, there's so many resources out there to actually um, use organic fabrics and recycled fabrics. So for me, it's kind of or um, dead stock, like we like we mentioned before. It really is. That's a no brainer for me. Um, I'm not gonna look at anyone that's not using a sustainable or organic fabric. And actually, not just clothes. We obviously also sell skincare, everyday products you know, toothpaste, tablets, all that sort of stuff. Um, So if it's something like that, it's got to be obviously natural um, and either refillable, reusable, recyclable. Um, And we do, um, in terms of clothing and manufacturing, um, do require some sort of certification of where you're you know, products have been manufactured. Unless you are um, in Australia, it's a bit different. You know, some of our products are actually handmade by the brand themselves and a small team of seamstresses. Um, so it does, it is case by case, but happy for everyone and anyone to contact me and we can just get the conversation started.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's, it's great to hear and I, I, you know, I would have expected this, but it's it is great to hear that you do have a vetting process, uh, um, you know, from your store to keep the the level, uh, you know, up, right up there in terms of um, credibility for your own brand, but also, uh, you know, of your of your partners that you work with as well. So that's that's awesome, Nikki. Thanks so much. It's been so fascinating chatting with you today. Uh, I feel like we. We're absolutely on the same page with regards to sustainability storytelling. So it's great. It's always lovely to hear someone else say the same things that I'm saying as well. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure meeting you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been great chatting.
0: Back to Giles again for my top takeouts, and firstly I just love and want to applaud Nikki for exploring new sustainable services and ways to support consumers in their own journeys towards living sustainably. If you're listening you have a retail store, I absolutely think it will become the expectation rather than the exception that you provide lifetime support for the items that you sell, but right now it is the exception. And that's a potential point of difference for your store and that's been working for Nikki as she builds out her community. Secondly, and I promise I didn't script this or preempt this in any way, but Nikki clearly sees through real face-to-face interactions with customers just how important brand story is to exciting those customers and giving them a reason to share what they found with family and friends. But to tell your story online is obviously harder as a brand you really can't get away with just broad phrases like the sustainable option anymore. Apart from the fact that regulatory bodies like the ACCC don't like it, consumers need an easy way to validate what you're saying and separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to greenwashing. Transparency is absolutely critical and I think Nikki's suggestion that anyone can deliver transparency, even just updates to what you're doing and your progress, is absolutely on the money. Refer back to episode 21 where I talk more about active transparency to learn more. For now I want to say thanks again to Nikki for joining me on the show today, it was so much fun. We are on the hunt now for new sponsors to make this show sustainable and so if you're a product supplier or a service provider that helps sustainable brands grow we'd like to hear from you. I'll be back again next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce so until then keep building your brand for a healthier planet.